Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Andy, and thanks for tuning in. I'm joined today with my good co-host, Sue. Hi, everybody. Hey. We are going to be joined today by Devette C. from Black Girl Nerds. Say hey. Hey, it's Devette from Black Girl Nerds. (laughs) And we're going to be talking about the first half of season one of Star Trek Discovery. We first thought that maybe we'd just do a a wrap-up episode when the first season ended, but we have such a long break in between, we thought it would be a better idea to do the mid-season finales, because there's just, there's so much to discuss. So we'll do two parts. We'll do this one, and then we'll do another one after the season finale, so you'll get lots of Discovery goodness. Now, before we get into the topic, we do have a bit of housekeeping. Our show is entirely supported by patrons on Patreon, so if you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from us thanking you on social media or up to watch-along commentaries. And so if you're interested in that, you can head on over to patreon.com slash womenatwarp. You can also support us by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever you get your podcasts. So, Discovery. Well... First, Devette, tell us a little bit about yourself. Lovely guest. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm. My name is Devette C. I live in Los Angeles, actually in Inglewood right now. I am a longtime Star Trek fan. I'm old enough to remember the original series uh, in not in syndication when it was actually airing, and fell in love with it immediately upon seeing Mr. Spock. And then seeing Ahura, and I just like, I was a fan. Before that, I was I was really afraid of any kind of sci-fi thing because I just kept seeing monsters, <laughs> and I just didn't like monsters. So uh, the closest I got to sci-fi was Lost in Space, I think, at that point. But but Spock won you over. Oh my god, he was so cute. I just I just I was just I've just fell in love like right away, and uh, then I went in different at different times, fell in love with other members of the crew. Um, so I just, <laughs> but first of all, it was Spock. And so been a fan, big sci-fi fan, uh, movies, television books. I'm a big old geek. And I found Black Girl Nerds by accident because I, at one point I was searching on Facebook for people like me. I was like, there's got to be other black girl nerds. I thought it was the only one for a long time. But, uh, I did a search and lo and behold, there she was. There's and a so whole community. I, there was a whole community. <laughs> and I was just in, I was, I was blown away. And so I got a chance to meet up with her uh, a while later when she was at Comic-Con a few years ago. And then subsequently she was looking for correspondence on the West Coast. And I'm like, me? (laughs) Me. (laughs) Yeah, you do the uh, discovery recaps for them, don't you? Yes, I do. I do the discovery recaps and, um, you know, just other things covering different events. But A fellow recapper. It's been a wild ride. (laughs) <laughs> it is my first time I've ever recapped a series, so I'm happy that it was something that I'm really, I really love. Also, uh, but it's been fun. It's challenging. Yeah, I didn't it realize is. How hard it was to do a recap. In fact, uh, the last episode recap I have not yet <laughs> published because I'm still kind of unpacking it in my head, and I was like, oh, there's plenty of recaps out there now. It's like this will be more like an analysis of the last episode. Well, there you go. So we've got. 
a big topic today in discovery. Yeah. I think the probably the best place to start would be characters, specifically because, you know, our raison d'etre, the female characters especially, but really anybody. And who everybody's favorite character was, anybody that got well, was a little bit disappointing, that sort of thing. Sue, do you want to start? I'm still broken up over Giorgio. Yeah. 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 I was you know? I was bummed. I mean, they kind of telegraphed it a bit um, when it came to the lead up of the show. And I mean, they put a special guest star. And as soon as they announced Isaacs, I was like, well, we're not going to have two captains. So I was a little nervous and I thought maybe they would not. But yeah, Giorgio. I kind of hoped it at least, you know, I mean, I just I didn't expect it so soon. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of thought, oh, good. We'll get to see the Shenzhou and all these wonderful things. And then eventually something will happen. And we'll, But it was so quick. And so I was just, yeah, I was heartbroken. What we did see of her and that relationship. And in addition, um. David Mack's book, Desperate Hours, that takes place before the Battle of the Binary Stars. She's just such a wonderful character, and they were able to do so much with her in such a short amount of time that it's really disappointing that we're not going to get any more of her. I'm hoping, though, just hoping that maybe flashbacks, we'll get to see more flashbacks Yeah, uh, of her relationship with Michael, because it was such a significant relationship, and it would be, you know... It would be a shame not to see her anymore at all. Yeah, I mean, that opening scene with Burnham and Giorgio on the desert planet, that was, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just blown away. I'm like, you have two badass women on an away Mm -hmm. team, just like kicking ass and talking (laughs) and like the way they built up that relationship so quickly, like I really cared about that relationship. And it was really hard to see Michael grieve and then like how lost she was and how much she needed her mentor. I, it was just, yeah, sad face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But in terms of our, what has become our regular crew on the discovery, I feel like my favorite character changes every week. Yeah, they have a a tendency to give the spotlight and, like, share it. So, I mean, that's a pretty usual thing on Star Trek. We have, like, episodes that are spotlighted on characters, but it means that, you know... Right, but that doesn't usually change my favorite character. (laughs) Yeah, it's true enough. (laughs) And the one that I, I find myself liking tends not to be the focus character of the episode, but the one who has, like, the best moment or the snarkiest comeback... Or there's just some little character thing that makes them stand out to me in that episode. And they're doing that for everybody. How do you manage to pick a snarky comeback when there's so <laughs> many of them? Our entire crew to, crew is like built from shade. It's amazing. It's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> built from shade. I like that. It's true, though. Like, the number of just, I mean, Burnham doesn't usually do a line, but she's got some serious looks. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Domitz, mm-hmm. who is like Sass Master Supreme. It's oh my god! Yeah. He's <laughs> I was I was kind of I really liked his introduction because he was such a douche, and I liked it. It was it was just like 
this is not this kind of fuzzy character, you know, he was prickly, but I mean, we have a lot of love for prickly characters in Star Trek. I mean, you got like Odo and Spock in some ways and Bones in some ways, like prickly characters work well on Star Trek. And I just, I just really liked that, that we didn't start with everybody was a family that we got to see. Noble. Yeah. We got to see them grow together and become a family more. And I liked that a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm mixed in my feelings at, uh, with the productions right now in that, yeah, we lost Georgiou and then we lost Landry. Landry right away. Yeah. And I love that actress. And I think I was just really bummed that they took her so quickly and so poorly. Yeah. I, I really did not agree with how they wrote her death because I thought it was stupid. They wrote her stupid. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's supposed to be chief of security, and you right. just captured an animal or a creature that's nails can claw through the hull of a ship. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go in there with a mechla? Right. <laughs> it did. I just, I just thought that's, there's no way. And I know, I guess they felt like they had to kill her. I don't know why exactly. There was obviously some attachment that she had for the captain that was more than just you know, captain and officer, uh, she, the last words, I think that we saw her say to him, uh, when he, I don't know, I can't remember which episode it was where he asked her to do something and she, oh, he thanked her for getting the tardigrade, I think. And she said anything. I mean, she was like looking at him like, oh, she wants to kiss him so badly <laughs> or something, or maybe they had been lovers or something. I got that but as there well. Was, they, we never got a chance to know her at all. And she was pretty badass. They had to get her out of the way for Tyler. Yeah. Which is another reason why I think her death made up me so mad. Because it is right. yet the second of time we had a woman of color killed off to be replaced with a dude. And that right. makes me upset. And also, like you were saying, like she's she's supposed to be the tactical person. Her tactics are crap. Like that that just made her look so incompetent, which is one of my least favorite qualities in a person. And then also she was the perfect person to take us from that warmongering beginning, right? Because we had mm-hmm. this this definite clash and I feel like this is the main theme for a long time, the clash between the people that valued science and the people who valued war and tactics. Mm -hmm. And she was such an important part of that. And she was one of the people that could have really like she could have changed. I was interested to see where they were going to take her. And I was interested to see how she was going to fit in with Burnham and her and Burnham had a lot of really interesting tension that I wanted explored. And no, I think that there was yeah, I mean, I think there was also some kind of rivalry uh, possibility because I think Landry was threatened by Burnham's presence. And I think that I think, you know, I think she felt threatened. I really do. And I think that should have been explored more. Imagine how she would have reacted if she was still there when Tyler came and there was yet another struggle of suddenly right. Lorca wants to trust this guy. And 
I still don't understand why everybody on that ship trusts Tyler so much. Okay, but no, Sue, come on. When you're filling the position of the person who has control over the security of your entire ship, you definitely want to give it to some random dude you met in jail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just... I mean, that's what I would do. That's the first thing I would do. I'd be like, hey, yo, random, you're kind of shady. <laughs> Here's all of our codes and security protocols and like... Run amok on the ship. Have fun. Especially one who's, you know, been, I mean, obviously kind of destabilized by the Klingons, our enemy. So, I mean, yeah, sure. Come on. Even if Tyler is exactly who he says he was. Okay. Even if he is, which I don't think anybody thinks that at this point. No. But even if he was, he also just got it out of seven months of torture like maybe send him back to earth for some hardcore therapy serious (laughs) serious therapy he would not be given an a position of such responsibility on a critical ship i mean the critical ship of starfleet i mean when the admiral said what are you doing (laughs) to me it would have been like you're not doing it we're not allowing this you know it's like put him on a shuttle and send him to us because this isn't happening but you see where Lorca's mindset is because he's like no he's fine yeah that that's the thing is like the thing that i do get out of that that i think works is it helps us understand where Lorca is and Lorca is also not okay oh not at all yeah that's one reason why we haven't talked about cornwell yet but a little bit but admiral cornwell who is another awesome woman um she has a background in psychology which is super not a common background to see in Starfleet characters, and I love it. And also, her re- relationship with Lorca, like, she's the only one who calls him out. Everybody else lets him do whatever he wants. But this is the first time I'm pretty sure that we see members of the Admiralty in Starfleet, if we even do know their backgrounds, but who weren't just captains or engineers or ops people. Mm, right. You know, we, we finally get an indication that somebody in a medical field or a science field is making it to the Admiralty. And, like, super important that your leaders come from all different kinds of backgrounds. Not to mention, I can think of a million things that psychology would be helpful for in a leadership position like that. I mean, obviously, it comes in handy for her numerous times. And I just think it's cool. <laughs> but can we talk about this? Because I actually I included this in one of my recaps. She knows Lorca. They're friends. They were lovers. They, you know, have been through a lot together. She knows what's going on with him in a way before it, before she finds out he sleeps with a phaser under his pillow. So given that, why is she so easily I manipulated? Mean, why is she so? Yes. I mean, I was like, come on. He's not that good in bed. I'm sure <laughs> that you just drop all your training and all of your power and, you know, take that time out with him. I just I would have been like, you know what? We need to talk a little more about this. And we're in the middle of a war situation. And I would definitely love to get it on with you again soon. But now is not the time. I don't know, that He eats those fortune cookies. Super creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you want to just pop in bed with the guy that eats fortune cookies like a total psychopath? I mean, real talk, real talk. I have very bad taste in men, so I probably would. Let's just be real. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I just couldn't. Like, no, we need to we need to talk about what's going on here and all the decisions you're making. Plus, um, even after that, she says to him, "You know what? You're crazy right now. We need to get. We're gonna. I'm gonna take the ship away from you." You don't tell somebody who is obviously kind of off the deep end right now. It's like I'm gonna take away the thing that you were living for and not expect there's going to be a problem. She walked out of there like she you know, knew that he was just going to roll over. And (laughs) I was shocked. Not only that, like, why wouldn't you send your orders to Starfleet before you go on a mission that's very dangerous? Right. There's a there's a lot of sketchy decision making in this show. Yes. So I'm like, and she is this, you know, psychologist, psychiatrist. So with all of that, you're going to actually go away on a dangerous mission that he's okay sending you off after you've told him you're going to take away his ship. I'd be like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> this isn't happening. So I was really bummed when, you know, when she took off and just like, and when I get back, you know. I'm taking your ship from you. I'm sure nothing bad will happen. I still think she doesn't realize just how bad it is. Yeah. Because he was a friend. She probably should. Yeah, that's the thing. I have my own ridiculous theories about Lorca, too. But I don't think this is the Lorca that she knew. Yeah. Yeah, that's – we'll get into that a little bit later when we're talking about um, fan theories. I would like to move on kind of to – One thing that I have noticed that I really like about Discovery, actually, is there are really strong standalone scenes. So, like, the episodes are not so episodic, really. They're very arced. So sometimes what happens from episode to episode kind of merges together in my mind. I'm like, which episode did that? Because it's not so... There aren't clean breaks. Exactly. But there are a lot of scenes that just blew my mind. And when people are asking me, what's your favorite episode? I'm like, it's not really like that for me. It's what is my favorite scenes? So I wanted to know what you guys thought about that. I love Tilly Bomb. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Tilly Bomb? Where when she says that's cool. Yeah, and that was actually pretty controversial. Like, there were people that got very upset by that. Tilly Bomb. I got it, I got it. I was like, yeah, that was cool, though. But, like, not because they're swearing. That's not why I love it so much. I love it so much because, I mean, she's young, so she's going to, like, I remember the first time I swore at work. I remember that (laughs) I accidentally gave my boss the middle finger. (laughs) <laughs> at one point, like joking around, and I was convinced oh. I was going to be fired. Like, at probably still in college. Yeah, see, I work in politics, so everybody has like sailor mouths. So, oh, yeah, I do oh, no, theater, like that's so, true now, yeah. but when you're super young, like yeah. she's still a cadet. Yeah. Imagine being like 20, 21, 22, and you say that in front of your boss, and you're like, I'm going to lose my job. Right. But there's, so there's, There's that moment, but there's also the fact that you see her and you see her boss and you see them loving the science they're doing. Like the rest of that ship goes away, the war goes away, and they're both standing there looking at this amazing thing that they can do. And they're like, this is amazing. So cool. Yeah. that is like the core of the science part of Star Trek. Absolutely. Like they should be amazed at everything around them. 
I really liked that scene too. I like I I like that they're just you could see the, the passion, the passion for yes. learning and the passion for discovery. But <laughs> huh. I think I the favorite. Hmm, it's hard. Most of my favorite scenes are they're pretty much always when uh, when people have let their hair down. So like the scene that made me laugh out loud and I was like I was sitting in a Starbucks and I wanted to go ahead and start the episode. So I put it on my phone and I literally almost came out of my seat laughing. I was so excited when uh, Burnham walks into the party <laughs> and the music is jumping and everybody and I'm just like, yes, this is a party. Now, if this had been on the Enterprise in Next Generation, somebody would have been playing a violin. There may have been some jazz going, you know. But no, I mean, I'm just like, there's got to be more music out of the 20th and 21st century that survives to that point. And it's going to be party music. And so when she walks in and the place is just jumping, I was like, yes, finally. I understand <laughs> why TNG did that because... Budget? Well, that, yes, definitely. <laughs> but also because classical music and, and jazz music is kind of timeless in some ways, whereas every, oh, like, pop music has a tendency to be dated specifically to an era. Well, but that's only because it's, like, such a short period of time, though. I mean, it's we don't know how long that music is going to last. I mean, we're just still kind of in that period where it's, like, only been 100 years since the jazz age. So right. we don't know in another 100 years what's going to be there. And I was glad, I mean, I have no doubts that like lots, you know, there's lots of classical, there's lots of jazz that's going to survive well into the next century, but we don't know what else will. And so that's why I was like, yeah, okay, let's play with the possibility. Yeah, we do. It's Al Green. What? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, that was perfect. (laughs) But the idea that we only ever see classical and jazz in Star Trek kind of like gives the impression that pop music is lesser. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not as important. And it shouldn't be. And it's it's certainly false. And it's great to see that in Star Trek. Because, I mean, people complained about it in Beyond as well. Which was also awesome, by the way. Right. You know what? It's going to be there. Like popular <laughs> yeah. music is popular music. And even if classical was at one time popular music, it survived the last several hundred years. So, you know what? Deal with They're it. They're going to be playing whoever they want 400 years from now. Yeah, and like Stamets says, my, what is it? My uncle plays in a Beatles cover band, but yeah. that doesn't make him John Lennon. I just thought that was <laughs> awesome. Well, if there's one pop band we know that will probably make it that far, it's the Beatles. <laughs> <sighs> so, yeah. So that was, the, that's like my favorite stuff. Yeah. I, I, I gotta agree. The beer pong, the awkwardness yes. of Burnham in a party. Let me tell you. Well, I loved it. Tilly absolutely rocking the party was awesome. The whole thing was fun. That ties into like a favorite character because Tilly is fast becoming like my favorite character. When she first appeared, I was like, oh, this is predictable. But then she turned into be, you know, turned out to be anything but predictable. Every time she opens her mouth on that show, it's, it's cool. (laughs) And she's, she's so together. I mean, you think she's like kind of a flake, but she's not. Not in any way. She is, she's just very effusive and very emotional and kind of fun. But when she's doing her job, she's mm-hmm. on it. Like when they're doing those jumps in the last episode and she's just like, boom, 
boom. And he's like, how's it going? Great. You know, I mean, she's just like focused. focused. Yeah. She is going to be a captain. There's no doubt. New York Comic Con was a couple weeks after. I think it was the weekend of the third episode airing. Mm -hmm. But I went to two different discovery panels in the same day. But at one point, the moderator of one of them was talking to Mary Weissman and asked her about Tilly. And, you know, there's this cadet on this secret ship. And, like, does she deserve to be there? And was was the essential question. And Mary Weissman said, you know, she might seem silly and she might be a little bit awkward, but she's very smart and she has every right to be there. And I just watched the dedication and the passion in her answering that question, sort of defending her character. And I knew from that instant, I was like, Tilly's going to be one to watch. Yep. She's bringing it. And I think that actress actually is the reason why. Charming. Very charming. Yeah. It's it's more than that. She's just like, she's, I, I mean, when I'm watching her on the screen, I'm seeing a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And she's coming into her own as a as a character on the show with every episode. I just I I mean just the way she like fronted Stamets when he was when she sat down at the table and said what is going on <laughs> and he's like oh you know he's trying to be all officer on her and she's like uh uh-uh, no what's going on. <laughs> and you know she wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I just thought yeah that and I think the reason why she's her her scenes are some of my favorites and the way she's turning into one of my favorite characters is because her character is the most to me it seems to be the most three-dimensional at this point my scene is actually from that same episode which i guess we'll have to call my favorite episode mine is the one where burnham and stamets dance in the hallway yeah The thing that I love about it is they're in this time loop, right? And Stamets is trying to get Burnham to kind of come to grips with her feelings with Tyler. And he is failing. And I love that at this point, he just he's like, oh, God, I got to fix this like underlying problem she's having before I can get her to do anything. So he's like, well, we're going to dance for science. And he just kind of not only is it really lovely from a perspective of we get to see the kind of intimacy between Culber and Stamets, like as a couple. And I love that is like, you've got this guy talking about his amazing boyfriend from the perspective of a healthy relationship. And I love all of that, but it's also just lovely because Burnham's really struggling and he's being her friend, you know, and he's helping her get in touch with these really difficult emotions that she is not really has she doesn't have any perspective for and i just think it's lovely and the whole time they're they're just they're dancing they're dancing for science and then i love that at the very end you know the ship blows up again and they're holding hands and the fact that we went from who they were in the third episode or whenever they met and they were there was so much tension between them and then to this holding hands while the ship blows up and like Mm-hmm. confiding into each other about uh, to each other about the people that they care about it's just it's it's really beautifully done i think and i love that scene for burnham because it's so rare that you get to see a woman like that be vulnerable in that way and i really truly love that right i think it was that's interesting because i love this scene too i thought it re- <laughs> it was like the father-daughter moment yeah. that she never had you know for from a human perspective anyway and um but 
you know, I found it really interesting, too, that when he said, tell me something you've never told anybody, and she confides that in him honestly, that she felt safe to do that is pretty significant. I know that they've been working closely, so maybe she's, maybe there is like a, a, you know, some connection happening offline that we haven't seen yet, but she does feel okay to tell him. That's a really deep thing. I mean, she could have told him something else, like my first pet's name was, you know, Bowser or whatever. No, I mean, it just, it was interesting to me that she felt safe. Okay. It's like she wanted to, Mm -hmm. like she was really, she wanted to tell him that because she wanted to tell somebody. I mean, the panic in her eyes when uh, Tilly asks her, well, what was, you know, what is, how is he compared to your other boyfriends? And the fact that, you know, that, that she's facing that again, because, you know, it's not the first time she's had to talk about either relationships or her lack of relationships. She just never had a chance to form one. I don't even know how long she was on the Shinsu, but... You know, yeah, she never took the time. And, and I mean, and it's good. Tyler calls her on that, you know, but um, yeah, I love that moment, too. That's a great one. That's a great episode. Frankly, that's my favorite. Yeah, it is. I think that one's that one's my favorite. But I, I always got the impression that sh- this is the reason she tells him that is one, because she finally feels like they're good enough friends to tell him that. And he has confided mm-hmm. into her. So she's kind of repaying that. But also that this has been on her on her mind. This is what she's been thinking mm-hmm. about the whole time. The whole, during that whole party, she's been mourning the fact that she has never been in love. And I don't know. I just I think that it's a really nice arc for Burnham. And it kind of falls into the arc that we've seen for her from the very beginning is she starts out very closed off from just about everyone, <laughs> but Giorgio. And then her having everything stripped away from her allows her to, to kind of address some of the, the pain that she has been suppressing. So we have this, we also have um, the episode where her and Sarek, where she has to, you know, she, we see that a lot of this is because of her relationship with him and the way she grew up on Vulcan and the way she's been suppressing her feelings about a lot of things and how much that that's been holding her back. And being able to see her kind mm-hmm. of address those wounds has been really quite lovely and I think is the backbone of the whole series. Yeah, I think I think one of the the cool transitions is from the episode where her dad, or why well, I called him her dad, where she, you know how it is when you, you grow up and you start to see your parents as flawed. Yeah. And that's probably the first time that she's, cause she's had a huge hero worship and just really trying to live up to him for so long. And now she sees him as flawed and that frees her to start exploring her humanity more in a way that she even probably didn't do while she was on the Shinsu because she was still bound by that feeling that I've got to really make him proud and I've got to be the best Vulcan I can be even when I'm on the Shinsu. And, but then once that happens, when she sees that he's kind of only human, (laughs) she's like, huh? And then she decides, I think, you know, at that point, when we see the opening of that episode where she's in the party and I can't remember the name of the episode right now, <laughs> uh, she's she's started going through a transition 
where she's like, I'm exploring my humanity now. I have friends. I'm enjoying, I'm finding satisfaction in my work. And now I'm going to a party. And she's very, you know, she admits being attracted to Tyler. She's ready to explore all of that. So maybe, yeah, and then Stamets gives her a reason to, to push through it. Open up about something there. Yeah, to push through. Cause that's definitely a moment. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big one. Even if she doesn't remember you know, <laughs> so much and he has to tell her everything later. Um, I, oh, I love that, that line in the elevator when, when Tyler says, oh, I'm, I'm just sorry we missed our first kiss, you know? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's so cute. Anyway. <laughs> I want to transition to talk a little bit about the Klingons because we haven't talked about them at all and we haven't talked about Laurel. Mm, I love her. So we have, I think that. I'm not wrong in saying that the Klingons were one of the most controversial parts of the new series and people were very strongly either opposed or excited about the new direction that they took the Klingons. How did that work for you guys? You know, I, I don't care about the character redesign. doesn't yeah. bother me at all. We've seen it a million times before. We've seen it with the Klingons before. Don't care. Least of the issues. I was really excited that we were going to be seeing Klingon speaking Klingon. But I think it might have not worked out like I wanted it to. <laughs> um, there were just, it, there were long scenes with it, what seemed like very slow talking. And the captioning font did them no favors. For me, it was less about the language and the subtitles because I always have subtitles on anyway, so I don't even notice that I'm reading them, but that's just a weird thing that I do. No, I watch TV with subtitles as well. Yeah, but the font was hard the for The font yes. that they – because they don't subtitle something when they are putting yeah. the captions on it already. Um, and the font that they did it in, I, I found difficult to read, but I'm also a little bit dyslexic, so that could just – it could not be an everybody issue. But it also seemed slow sometimes and then really fast other times. Like four words would be on the screen for a really long time and then three lines would come up for about two seconds. And that might just be – that could be a CBS All Access issue, and, you know, because that's not necessarily a show issue. But – Yeah, for me it wasn't the language so much. It was just that I found the Klingon arc to be pretty boring. Yeah, and that's I think I think I can go along with that because again, yeah, the character redesign doesn't bother me. You know, yeah, I think the first time I saw the the Klingons different than in the original series when they did it, I think in the film, I can't remember which one, and I was like, "Whoa, what did they do to the Klingons?" And I was just very distressed about that. But then after that, I just like, whatever. <laughs> it's fine, you know. They're still Klingons. Uh, the thing that has bothered me about it is that, yeah, there, everything about the Klingon storyline up to this point seems to, they just seem to be... It seems thin. It does. I mean, it's like, okay, we're going to start a war with the Klingon. The, I, the whole thing made no sense to me. The whole Tukovma, um and then how the Klingons reacted to him and uh, Cole, who is just nothing more than a device. And the only thing that I have found interesting has been Laurel. I like her. I think her story is probably a lot more interesting and complex. I mean, they have 
they've hinted at this thing with the matriarchs, you know, whoever they are. And I mean, they mention it and then, and then there's this, you know, whole thing with Tyler possibly being uh, a sleeper agent somehow joined with Valk. We don't know, but I like her. I like what I, I don't know. She has, she has a higher purpose. Everything about the way she spoke to mm-hmm. everyone, Volk, um, or Vok, Volk, um, and, um, you know, the, uh, the Admiral, everybody, it seems like she's, she's just telling a half truth to all of them. Yeah. For, for, for a purpose. Like she has a higher purpose and everybody that she's coming in contact with in relation to this thing plays a part in that. And, you know, I just, I hope that she lives up to my expectation, but so far I really like her character as far as on the Klingon side of things. She's the only one who's held my interest. Call was just a mess of a, I mean, what the hell was that about? I'm sorry. What you don't like it when he took over a ship with like blood wine and chicken wings? Because I super dug that. That's my favorite thing about Colt. That and the fact that he betrays literally everybody and everybody is always surprised. I love that. That is good stuff. Yeah, I. What the hell is that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I keep saying that, but what, I mean, I was like. The thing that just did me in totally was when uh, he's, they said, hey, we got this Evite from these people in Pavo. Uh, what are we going to do? It's like, hell, let's go. <laughs> you know? I was like, do you know Pavo? Do you know what's waiting for you on the other end? Do we know anything about the Pavans? No. We didn't even know there were Pavans <laughs> until recently. We just thought it was a planet called Pavo. And, you know, get this message and it's like, yeah, we're going to go. And, and then when we get there... We're going to kill him because why? Why? <laughs> why are you It going? all moves at the speed of plot. <laughs> yes. oh, Look, guys, he's ready. He's got several casks of blood wine in case things get tricky. <laughs> he is prepared, okay? <laughs> this makes no sense. And then he gets there and then it's like, yeah, we're going to we're going to fight and um and then, and then the whole thing with him and Burnham, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> it's like, he's gonna, he's like, oh, I've got this human. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put her in the brig. She's like, no, fight me for your honor. And it's like, you don't have any honor. It was like, well, we know that. So why would he bother fighting her? You know, he'd just say, you know what? I don't have time for you, puny human. I'm going to put you in the brig and then I'm going to kill you later. And we're going to warp the hell out of here because we don't know what's going on. And But no, he's like, yeah, I'm going to take the time out from this (laughs) to fight this little girl. She insulted him. Uh, (laughs) When there are internet trolls and you tell them they're wrong, they're going to fight you no matter what, even if they should just go away. Have one of your minions do it. You know, it's like, you minion, you know, shoot her. (laughs) Well, at one point he has literally her neck in his hands and he could easily kill her, but he takes the time to do some evil monologuing, which is my favorite villain trope of all time, where he's like, he could literally crush her neck and just end it right there, but instead he's going to talk a while, so Burnham has time to to get out of it. (sighs) 
And then she gets him with a, you know, a groin shot, which, you didn't see that coming? <laughs> That's like... <sighs> I just thought he was, that the whole thing was so ridiculous. And I, I, I just really, I lost patience. And uh, this last episode really left me a little cold because of that whole thing. And I just, because, and then, and then we don't find out what happened to the Povins anyway after that. They're like, fine. What happened to the Povins? Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. What would they? <laughs> the Klingons beamed down looking for some bipedal species and they didn't find any, so they left. Yeah, basically. <laughs> And I was like, so why did we have, and, and if they were powerful enough to, I don't know, do it seems like, I mean, it would have been so great to me if they turned out to be like the Organians mm. or somebody, like some super, like, oh, you guys think you know what you're doing here. We're just going to totally screw up your stuff right now. And, you know, but no, it's just like, well, the Povins are fine. And, but <laughs> Well, they do make really cool tents. Very romantic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but can we talk for a second about later in that episode when Lorca is convincing Stamets <laughs> about doing those 133 little jumps? And he pulls up yes. this universe map and he's like, look at all these other universes we could explore. And like, mm-hmm. how does Lorca know that? Shouldn't Stamets be the one who knows that? Yeah, what are you showing him? He's right. been there. Like, <laughs> and also, who are you that you, you've you mapped these pocket universes and things? Like, hmm. this is a tiny hmm. bit suspicious. I I do want to quick go back to Laurel in that I do agree with you that she is tricky. And I like that I don't know what her motives are and that I don't think I know what her plan is. Well, she's from a house of deceivers and spies. Did you know that? Also, she's from a house of deceivers and spies. And you know what her house is? Right. Deceivers and spies. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. I don't like her, though, like as a person. I like her as a character. Like, I think she's interesting. Like I'm not bored when she's running around doing weird, shady stuff. But I don't like her as a person. And I I don't know what her end game is, so she keeps me engaged. But I also want her to fail because I think she's terrible. <laughs> so though all of that together, I think makes for a good character. It's like someone you kind of love yeah. to hate sort of thing. I did want to talk a little bit about her and Tyler because that it was a very mm-hmm. big part of the last episode. So we, when we first met Tyler, he implied extremely heavily that he was forced into a sexual relationship with Laurel to save his life. Yes. And it bothered me at the time that it, Lorca kind of goes, uh, like he reacts to that, but he, they don't really talk about it very much. It's not really framed as sexual assault. And then they kind of move on from it very quickly. So I was, upset about Mm -hmm. that and I'm really glad that they came back to it in this episode but I'm kind of disappointed in how they did that so like they have this first scene where Tyler is dealing with PTSD which was triggered while he was on the alien ship and he saw Laurel and was triggered immediately into flashbacks and he's very vulnerable and he's you know really suffering And he and Burnham sit down and he opens up to her and he talks about what he went through. And I thought it was wonderfully done. Like, uh, 
for once, we actually had a character who experienced sexual assault in Star Trek, and then they actually examine what that does to a person. And I was really happy about that. But then, like, maybe even just a scene later, they go into a really creepy flashback and make me watch his assault. And I Mm -hmm. was really upset by that. And I just wanted to see if I was the only one or how other people felt like that about that scene and about that storyline in general. I have very complicated feelings because I remember on social media after it's first revealed in the that episode on the on the prison ship, there were so many people saying, oh, that doesn't mean sexual assault. Like they were fighting against it for some reason. I don't know why. But I I like that the show didn't back down from it. You know, that it was confirmed that it is very clearly explicitly now something that basically something that they're not backing down from. I'm not going to say I like that this is something that happened to a character. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I certainly did not need the scene. I didn't need to see it. It was just disappointing because I feel like for the first time I was like, oh, my God, did Star Trek actually do an assault story with care? And then two seconds later, I was like, oh. No, never mind. Like we have gratuitous, very upsetting rape scene I that I really didn't need to see. And I thought it was really strange that they went in, they did this whole episode about how horrible PTSD is and how horrible it is when it's triggered and then showed a very upsetting scene that I know for a fact made a lot of survivors upset. And that just mm-hmm. made me it undermined every good thing that they did for me in that episode in regards to that storyline. So I'm I'm going to be uh, I'm I have an unpopular opinion on this. I didn't. I'm one of those ones who I did not see it. The sexual assault uh, scene, not that Burnham didn't enter into a forced sexual relationship. I think that that happened, and I think he did it to survive. But my reaction to his flashback when he saw her, I think that I don't believe that it was entirely PTSD. I think that because I because I'm one of the ones who prescribed to the storyline that the possibility or the fan theory that he and Volk are have somehow been joined somehow, uh on, I don't know what level, but that I think that what they showed in the flashbacks seemed to indicate more than the sexual uh, assault and the torture. It it seemed like possibly surgery in on some level. And, you know, I guess you would have to maybe look at the thing frame by frame to see exactly or to see more. But I got the indication that this was a combination of a memory of his and a memory of Vox and whatever happened between the two of them. I don't completely trust his memory of everything that is going on. His reaction to Laurel in the in the prison in the um, burial chamber is different than his reaction to Laurel when he's escaping from the alien ship. He wasn't he he was not overcome when he saw her there. He fought her 
there. But then this time he was triggered by her. And I don't know if it was just a reaction to the, you know, the forced sexual relationship or not relationship, the forced sexual situation that was put in. I think that there was something else emerging. And I think that uh, that kind of is confirmed when he goes to see her in the chamber, uh, in the uh, brig, and is like, uh, what did you do to me? And her saying, I'm not going to let them hurt you. So I think that Tyler is a Bach. Straight up. Okay. But, and I, who knows, this might be an implanted memory. This might be totally false. This might be something, if she can adjust his memory, that, you know, maybe they were lovers before, but she did something in that memory to make it traumatic. That's what I, I believe that. I think that's very true. But I also the sexual violence, mm-hmm. I think that we saw. I just, honestly, I interpreted that as Klingon lovemaking. I mean, it's like, it's been implied over and over again. Whether it whether it's completely fake or whether it's altered or whatever it is, how he's experiencing it now is still traumatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that there's like, I mean, he's going through a lot. I just don't know whether how much of that is a struggle for Vok to take control of or what, whatever is happening to him. It's horrible. But I don't, you know, I just, again, when I saw that, that scene that or whatever they were showing us i didn't interpret it as uh a sexual assault i interpreted it as just klingons having sex just because of everything that they've talked about in the past and in fact when i did my recap i i uh i include a link to you know uh one of Worf's statements about you know only having access to human females and they're very fragile so he can't like he has to hold back so that was like that's something that has been intimated about relations between Klingons, uh, anyway, uh, in everything, in every iteration of Star Trek where they've showed that. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, so that's Laurel and him, but is it Laurel and Tyler, or is it Laurel and Vok? We don't know. And then I saw the whole, with the machinery or whatever that was, and I was like, oh, I wonder if this is mixed in with whatever they did to Vok and to Tyler to get them into one. So that was just my whole thing. It didn't, I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in fact, someone else mentioned that to me afterwards, the um, the sexual assault, and I was like, oh, really? I didn't even see that. And then I started reading all of this uh, all these, there's been several articles now, and there's been very, you know, various commentary. So I don't know if that was what they intended. I think it's definitely what they intended. There's the, the first scene on the prison ship where he says that she took a special liking to him. Oh, right. Yeah. No, right. I knew and that. And then I think that then that scene is, is certainly supposed to make it explicit interpreted that way. Yeah. I do think that hmm. we don't know everything about what that flashback has is portraying and we don't know everything about what happened Mm -hmm. um, between them. And we don't know, you know, we don't know who Tyler is, let's be real. And Mm -hmm. so I will be interested to see how, how, what, how they will portray us going forward and what we will find out about these various theories. 
We talked a lot about the Tyler is Vogue theory. I think that one is pretty common. And I don't know, at this point, I feel like it has really strong hints to it. And I think that's what that scene at the end of the episode is, too, when he goes to the brig and is like, what did you do to me? And it wasn't I don't think he's talking about like, what horrible torture did you put me through? I think he's talking about like, what did you do to my brain that I'm remembering all this stuff that didn't happen? Or he may be Vok at that point saying, what did you turn me into? I mean, that's, yeah, so there's so much. I do want to talk about the other fan theory that's kind of going around and what we think about that before we wrap up. Lorcas from the Mirror Universe? Yes, that one. The fact that we don't actually know, like, that that is something that I think is also really compelling theory, that Lorca is not actually from our universe, that he's in the Mirror Universe, or, and I heard this one too, and I like this one too, that this has been the Mirror Universe all along, and Lorca is from our universe. So there's a lot of there's a lot of questions here. Um, the the Lorca is from the Mirror Universe one, I think, is the strongest. And, I mean, there are, there's a lot of things from that last episode that can be reinterpreted mm-hmm. to he meant to go to the Mirror Universe. And that was his plan all along. Well, there's the override. Yeah, there's the one. override. There's the fact that he says, let's go home just before they jump. There's the fact that he's been mapping star systems and other universes. We kind of hinted at that before. I mean, the the showrunners have confirmed that we will visit the Mirror Universe this season. We don't know that they're there now. But I don't think that we started there at all. um, Because I don't think that Giorgio would be someone from the Mirror Universe. Well, not everybody in the Mirror Universe, I understand, was like... It's like if you're evil in the Mirror Universe, I guess you're nice in the... In this, you know, universe and vice versa, right? I mean, wasn't it like a thing? Yeah, but she seemed to be more representative of Starfleet. Actual Starfleet, yeah. Especially based on what Cornwell says. Plus, they don't have any of the uniforms of the, or the logos. Nobody's wearing a gold sash. Yeah, exactly. Nobody has, there's no rip, there's no abs anywhere. Like, I mean, come on. Okay. Okay, I just say I don't I my own personal theory is that Stamets is not who he was. I think Stamets has been flipping in and out of different realities since he's been doing this. And uh, when he came out of that last I'll just say when he came out of the last sequence of um jumps he was, I don't think he was the same person at all. There's, and when he looks at Lorca, there's, there's an edge there. I mean, he's been snarky, but there's something else there. And when he looks at Lorca and says, and I'll always have you to thank for this. I mean, there's like, that's, there's nothing nice about that. Uh, There's like this very uh, kind of you know, I'm gonna get you, <laughs> you know, to it. And so and I think Lorca's like, Oh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> I mean, when he walks away, he looks at him like, hmm. And also, when even when he kisses Hugh, before he goes into the chamber and talks about all this stuff. I mean, I, he has a, an air about him that's very, uh, what's the word? Superior. It's like, Hello, we're going to be going now. And I mean, it's almost as if he doesn't, ex- 
he's not going to take them where they think they're going. That he's going to, like, maybe he's seen a different version of, you know, what they're, what he wants them to be, where he wants them to be, and that's where he's going to take them. I kind of get that from him. So when he, you know, when the thing fall, fails, of course, they telegraph that for miles. It's like, oh, we're not going anywhere, folks. I mean, you know, <laughs> he knew that was coming. But when he falls out of the chamber and his eyes have gone silver blue or whatever. Memories of Gary Mitchell, anybody? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly Gary Mitchell. And I'm thinking, hmm, okay. And then they do the, you know, scenes from you know, coming scenes, and he's thrown Hugh across the floor with the touch of his hand, basically. I was like, yeah, we're, we're, he's, he's there. I just, I hope <laughs> so, we don't lose him, because I'm yeah. going to be really upset if there is no Anthony Rapp in season two. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that kind of goes to that theory is when he came out of one of the jumps and accidentally called Tilly Captain. Mm-hmm. And that to me was like, is he either he's either jumping in time or he's jumping in universes? So there's definitely something going on there, which is cool. Time and space are just the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's possible he's like, yeah, there's so many possibilities. And I just if we do have a mirror universe, I'm so needing to see Tilly as captain. Cause she's evil Captain it. Tilly. <laughs> I can hardly wait to see her like just being I evil. also want to see Mirror Gior- Giorgio just so we can have Yo M- Michelle Yo back. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, we're kind of running out of time and man, we covered a lot, but there's a lot more to go. So I'm glad that not only are we going to have another episode on discovery in general, but we'll definitely be doing episodes on characters and themes and we'll do more episodes, maybe not right away, but uh, there's so much to talk about in this show. Um, Kind of as a wrap up, do we want us just say like how much did we like it? Did we not like it? Like, just overall, what are your feelings about what worked and didn't work for you? So far, really quickly, I'm just going to say I love it's very Star Trek. It feels very Star Trek. I know a lot of people didn't think that it would, but I think they've really kind of stuck with a, a Star Trek feel, uh, even if with it a little darkness. Um, I'm very happy with Michael. I want to see more development, though, of her as a person, not as a reaction to the war or a reaction to someone's words like Sarex or, you know, um, I'd like to them to explore a little more of a relationship, she and Lorca's relationship, because I think she may have supplanted her father with Lorca. And um, if they're going to keep up the relationship with she and Tyler, they need to make them closer because right now in the last episode it was like brother and sister to me i didn't feel the same kind of connection chemistry wise that i saw with in the episode where they danced and you know they were getting close this one it was like yeah they there was no connection there so um overall i'm i'm loving it i'm really looking forward to what happens in january but (laughs) I'm going to go back and rewatch everything a couple of times so I can pick up. I, I don't think you're going to be alone there. <laughs> How about you, Sue? Oh, I just want more. Like, I don't want to have to wait. Yeah. <laughs> but I know we're sort of joking about it and making fun of some of the sillier parts, but I really enjoyed it. I'm, I was nervous. You know, I've been through this before of there's going to be more Star Trek. And the last time it was Enterprise. And this is way better than Enterprise. 
So. <laughs> oh, man, is it? <laughs> I mean, I'm happy about it. And I really, for the most part, I'm just trying to stay out of social media comments about it. Like, I just, I don't care. If you don't want to like it, you don't have to like it. If you're trying and you still don't like it, that's okay, too. But, like, let people enjoy things, I guess, is my wrap-up thought for today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm with you guys. I'm really enjoying it. I have concerns about some things, like anybody would, um, watching something. It's not ever going to be perfect. Uh, But I think that they are doing a great job at keeping me engaged with the characters. And I really want to know what happens next. So that's always good. I would love to see more women because we're starting to lose women. We're losing them. Yeah. Yeah. So I would like to see more women. I would like to see more of the bridge crew. Mm. So we didn't get a chance to talk about them because apparently we'd need like six hours to talk about Discovery. So we didn't get a chance to talk much about the bridge crew, but I think that they all really have a kind of a distinct presence on the bridge, which is really cool. I really like that the diversity there, like really just very cool. And not only just, you know, women and people of color and women of color and all that stuff. It feels like it's mostly women. Yeah, it is. Which is great. There's like maybe one guy or something. Well, yeah, there's there's Reese and then there's... uh, uh, everybody calls him eye candy. I don't know. And then there's a communications <laughs> guy, but also just like very interesting people, I think like, and we don't know very much about them, but everything we know about them is interesting. So I would love to see more about them coming up. I just followed, um, and I, I I'm going to butcher her name, but it's Oyen, uh, Aladejo, Aladejo. She's the African actress with the wonderful dreads and the beautiful face and the eyes. And I'm just like loving her. I was like, I saw her on the bridge a couple times. I was like, oh my God, please don't let her die. Please don't let them get rid of her. And it looks like she's, you know, going to be like a rig. I mean, they gave her a lot of lines in the last episode and they keep focusing on her and she's so pretty and just really, I'm just like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so I've just followed her on Twitter. I mean, she just opened a Twitter account. I guess they, I think that's the tell. It's like when one of these characters opens a Twitter account uh, and it's all like Star Trek, he's like, yes, they're going to be on. She's going to be <laughs> on again. So she plays uh, Joanne. Joanne is easy to pronounce. Joanne Awasikun. Awasikun. They pronounced it on the show, but um, she's one of the bridge officers. So I think she's on at helm. No, she's not at the helmsman. She's ops. Her and Detmer have such a cool chemistry and I want to see, I want to see them together more and I want to see them in the cafeteria chilling out, having a good time talking. I want to see them on away missions, you know, like all this cool stuff. But, um, I think there's room for that. So I'm, I'm happy and excited for more. And I think in general, the response has been fairly good, although the people who re- don't like it really don't like it. So that's fine. Um, if you guys want to, you know, comment on what you liked and didn't like about Discovery, our Facebook's always open for that. We have um, the recaps posts on Facebook that you can talk about each episode. And then when we post this, we'd love to hear from you. Um, just keep it respectful. As Sue says, let people like things. 
<sighs> well, Devette, thank you so much for joining us. It was really lovely. Uh, you want to tell people where people can find you on the internet? Sure. Um, you can find my recaps at blackgirlnerds.com. Uh, you can also, I, I review some movies. I do some writing. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at, uh, at mariava.com. I mean, at mariava, which is M like Mike, A-R-I-A-V-A-H. So, uh, you can find me there. You can also find me on Facebook under Devetsi. And, uh, I also have an animation studio, my, my own little animation studio called Running Lady Studios. Uh, we're at Running Lady Picks on Twitter and Running Lady Studios on YouTube. Check out my stuff. Awesome. And Sue, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And I'm Andy. Easiest place to find me is Twitter at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting my first time through Star Trek, except for Discovery, where I'm writing recaps which, that you can find at womenatwarp.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook at Women at Warp. Thanks so much for listening. Hey.